The following podcast contains scenes of graphic violence and sexual assault that some listeners might find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. There's a story about a pre-med student who was studying cadavers for his anatomy class. And late one night, he went into the morgue and skinned a cadaver and made a mask for Halloween. He later wore the mask he constructed from human skin to a college Halloween party. The pre-med student later told a friend what he had done. The friend's name was Toby Hooper, who would go on to become a film director and the story went on to serve as one of the inspirations behind the slasher villain Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If the eyes are the windows to the soul, a blank, expressionless face has no soul. When you gaze upon a mask, you are looking into the abyss. Masks embody the unknown. The unknown is unknowable, and therefore something we do not understand. And we always fear what we do not understand. Humanity have worn masks of one kind or another for the purposes of entertainment, mockery, ritual, deception, concealment, transformation, and yes, even murder. The mask might change with the times and the killer, but the murderer's impulses are always rooted in an ancient Darwinian form of evil. The masks are the unconscious expression of that evil, primordial instinct. When it comes to masks, it is never about the mask itself, but the person underneath. Masks reveal what the worst among us are hiding on the inside, their darkest fantasies. In the late 1980s and early 90s, Australia was terrorized by a depraved psychopath in a gimp mask with a zipper for a mouth. This nightmarish individual broke into people's homes and raped and murdered their children. He abducted a 13-year-old girl named Carmen Chan, tied her to a chair, and shot her three times in the face. Her decomposed body wasn't found until a year later. The killer was believed to have videotaped or perhaps taken still photographs of his crimes perpetuated against the children. This masked predator of children came to be known in the press as Mr. Cruel. No one could stop Mr. Cruel because no one could identify him. He was never brought to justice and the case remains unsolved. Between 1957 and 1971, residents of the British Isles feared a masked intruder in their homes creeping into their houses at night with a disguise consisting of an old, tattered rubber mask that resembled molten skin and a woman's wig. The thing in the mask looked like a human horror film and stalked, raped, and sodomized more than 13 women and children. Perhaps most disturbing is what police discovered beneath the mask, a seemingly normal family man named Edward Paisnell. 
A construction worker by day, and a masked ghoul by night, Paisnell liked to dress up as Santa Claus and entertain young boys and girls in his spare time. He also liked to perform satanic rituals and sacrifice animals at an altar hidden in his barn. It all sounds like QAnon fan fiction, and yet it is reality. And then you have the Phantom. In 1946, something began killing random teenagers in the American Twin Cities of Texarkana. Something that had the form of a human, but not the face. He arrived in Texarkana like a dark thought, or a demon summoned by a witch, and terrorized an entire town with homicidal and sexual violence. The killings had no clear motive and were shocking in their sheer brutality. The killer wore a burlap sack over their head, with holes sliced out for his crazed eyes. His weapon of choice were guns and the element of surprise. The thing in the pillowcase mask always struck at night on weekends, in isolated locations. He targeted vulnerable young couples. Lover's Lane became his hunting ground. The faceless killer slaughtered between five to seven people, attempted to murder three others, and is a suspect in several cold case homicides. He came to be known as the Phantom Killer, or Moonlight Murderer, by the local press, mainly because of his almost supernatural ability to vanish and elude capture. A killer like the Phantom could only be spawned from a place like Texarkana, a town born in blood that hid a grim history of murders, corruption, tragedies, and horrific racial violence. The people of Texarkana poured their lives into the town, their own secrets and sins feeding the soil. And serial killers, the werewolves and vampires of the modern age, always emerge as a moral reckoning with societal decay. Blaring with the rage of a recently castrated bull, the Phantom Killer was a coldly psychotic scarecrow, driven by nothing other than the desire to create chaos. He transformed Texarkana into the town that dreaded sundown. He was more than a serial killer. He was a terrorist. The Phantom was a force of human nature, a violent assault on the concept of civilized society itself. The Phantom committed cold-blooded murders and sexual torture simply because he could. He didn't even seem to care about why he was doing it. He had no grand philosophy or self-awareness to his atrocities. He just did things. Terrible things. The Phantom was a destructive, frenzied maelstrom of murder, mayhem, and sexualized aggression. A remorseless madman in a mask with zero empathy. He stole people's lives, and those that survived were psychologically scarred by the trauma inflicted upon them. And then, just as the killings were escalating both in terms of cruelty and senselessness, they suddenly stopped. But did they really? It is widely believed that once serial killers start killing, they cannot stop. Is it possible the Phantom simply moved on to a new location, changed their MO, and continued to murder with impunity? A mask is just a piece of fabric. The person underneath? That's the true horror.
spooky? Do you think I'm spooky? I told my mom I thought I saw a werewolf. And my mom believed me. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay! serious crap! You think these people were eaten? My dog stepped on a bee. Unidentified flying objects. I think that fits the description pretty well. Haunted human remains. He's dead, but he has the power to move and kill. She was bludgeoned to death with an axe. <laughs> A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. When I stand on the mountain and I say, do it, it gets done. If it don't get done, then I'll move on it. And that's the last thing in the world you want me to And this is the Spookies Podcast. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? I'm Michael. And I'm Stephanie. And welcome back to your favorite thing ever, the Spookies podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 12, The Texarkana Moonlight Murders, Part 2, The Masks of Sanity. That's a mouthful. Well, you wrote it. I know. <laughs> this is it. This is the end of the season. <laughs> Are you ready for this, Stephanie? As ready as I'll ever be. So, at the end of our last episode, the masked maniac known as the Phantom had failed to kill Katie Starks. She had discovered her husband dead in his chair. He had been shot twice in the cranium. You know, I just loved that the Phantom failed to kill someone. I always love it when things don't go as expected for the killer. It's very satisfying in that way. He was pissing his pants. (laughs) Katie survived being shot twice in the face. One bullet passed through her nose, and the second broke her jaw, lodging in under her tongue. Her teeth had exploded onto the floor. And then, after a series of increasingly violent murders, something strange happened. The phantom killer disappeared. Just gone. Vanished. Think about that for a moment. The phantom just murdered a bunch of innocent people and was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm taking this tampon off my face, and I'm retiring. (laughs) And then he vanished without a trace. Except nothing vanishes without a trace. I would agree. There's got to be something here. Some Mm -hmm. detail. Something we're not seeing. A predator like the Phantom would never stop killing. It's in their genetic makeup to kill. Whoever did this was born to kill. Lives to kill. Kills because they like it. Mm -hmm. Sheriff W.E. Davis would later tell the press, This killer is the luckiest person I have ever known. No one sees him, hears him in time, or can identify him in any way. He's invisible. A phantom. Right. On almost every documentary about a serial killer, they interview a cop and they talk about how the killer was impossible to catch. Mm-hmm. This guy here, I'm telling you, he was invisible. <laughs> we call him Johnny Slick. He could be anywhere. He could squeeze into a coffee can. <laughs> serial killers, you see have these supernatural abilities, according to the police. They can turn invisible at will or walk through walls. <laughs> An evil genius, Stephanie. The suspect might have an IQ of 80, but the cops will claim they're dealing with an evil genius. <laughs> Look, if you think a guy with an IQ of 80 is an evil genius, what does that make you? Not too bright. Criminal mastermind and evil genius, these terms are cop 
double speak for bad police work. Of course. This is cops covering their ass because they screwed up or they were complicit. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the theories about this case. But suddenly, it's funny how killers are always easier to catch when the victims are the rich and the powerful. Suddenly, the cops become Columbo. Someone (laughs) kills the daughter of a politician or some Hollywood actor, and they will lock down an entire city. They will move heaven and earth to catch the killer. We are a deeply sick society, but I digress. On October 8th, 1946, another murder took place which bore an eerie similarity to the Texarkana Moonlight murders. A young couple was killed by an unknown gunman whilst parked in a lover's lane spot in a desolate stretch of beach not far from Fort Lauderdale. Lawrence Hogan, 23, and Elaine Eldridge, 24, both died as a result of shots fired from a 32 caliber weapon, the same caliber used in the Martin Booker and Griffin Moore murders. Like the Texarkana victims, Hogan and Eldridge were found clothed, with their money and other valuables intact. No motive was determined for the killings. No evidence was left behind by the perpetrator. Some believe this is indeed the work of the Phantom, that he moved on to a new location after his attack on the Stark farm. But Lover's Lane murders are hardly unique. You have the Zodiac, you have Son of Sam, you have the Atlanta murders in 1977, which is the same year as the Son of Sam, but it's a different killer. You have the Monster of Florence... Lover's Lane murders are not that uncommon. Now, it could have been the Phantom, or it could have been a random murder. We will probably never know. Okay, let's hear it. Who do you think committed the Texarkana Moonlight murders? Ghosts? Aliens? I know you think this case has something to do with the occult. Are you sure you want to know? (laughs) I think it's obvious who committed the murders. Oprah. What? And Tom Hanks. No! Along with a satanic cabal of Hollywood elites, <laughs> pedophile elites, they are always pedophiles and liberals. Don't, don't take America's dad into this. They have to be liberals, satanic Hollywood liberals. <laughs> the liberal Hollywood pedophile elites, you see, were performing an ancient ritual, some form of blood sacrifice, the most potent offering in black magic. <laughs> Oprah and Tom Hanks weren't even born yet when the murders occurred. You don't get it. You don't get it. (laughs) Demonic Democrats are immortal. You got to analyze the symbolism of the woke mind virus. (laughs) Cereal boxes are often a good place to start. Oh my God. An ordinary box of Cheerios can be a window into the international demonic syndicate that really rules the world. Everything has meaning, which means nothing does. The Texarkana Moonlight Murders were a ritual sacrifice by woke Hollywood elites. Did those even exist in the 40s? They have existed throughout centuries. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Have you ever been on Facebook? (laughs) Haven't you seen the evidence? Don't you know the symbolism? You no. gotta decode the cereal boxes, or you don't know what's going on. You're just another bootlicker of the democratic, demonic conspiracy. I- I'm surprised you're not saying that this is deep state, or that this was a false flag operation. Deep state is very 2020. We gotta move past that. Now we just say demonic. <laughs> no, this isn't my theory. This is me making fun of everyone who bought Twitter Blue. I will never stop making fun of you dorks. 
Especially all the conspiracy theorists who claim to hate the elites, yet dick ride Elon Musk. Yes, they dick ride. They are on the dick <laughs> riding. I mean, why are you giving a billionaire $8 a month? What a bunch of phonies. For a useless blue check that does nothing. What a bunch of phonies and frauds they turned out to be. They were the real NPCs all along. <laughs> So, there are several theories about the Phantom Killer's identity and what became of them, the pronoun them. I grew up hearing a rumor, from my grandmother mostly, (laughs) you know, because she had deep knowledge, (laughs) that the police actually discovered who the killer was. They knew who it was. They cornered him, took him out into the woods, and executed a little vigilante justice, Texas style. I like where this is going. He begged for his life. Like a dog. <laughs> like in Batman Begins. Like a dog. <laughs> and the police gunned him down without a second thought. You know, because it's Texas, and that's what they do. Just fucking shoot you. What was left of him was buried in an unmarked grave buried somewhere deep in the woods. Now, look, it's just a rumor, but this makes more sense if the other rumors about the Phantom Killer being a cop are true. Mm. They were trying to cover their own ass. And look, I have serious doubts the cops actually killed the Phantom. But I would love for the rumors to be true. It's the ending the killer deserved. We all want a happy ending. Yeah, especially if it's by a firing squad. Yeah, I know there's going to be people like, Oh, I love it. You guys are barbaric. No, he's a fucking psychopath. Like, fuck this. You guys are Republicans. (laughs) You're barbaric. (laughs) Yeah, I want um, psycho murderers to be killed. Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah. And also, they're going to get Max's... The, the phantom I'm, I'm saying them they but that's going to come into play later because there's a reason why i'm using them instead of he you'll see there are also other rumors that the phantom was the son of a powerful and respected family and that the police knew the identity of the killer and hid them in a psychiatric facility to evade arrest and prosecution which is also the theory behind the black dahlia killer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it was somebody important and respected well who was who was the g-man who went after him the famous guy elliot ness elliot ness he tracked him down i believe the murders were uh, the murder of the black dahlia was reminiscent of a killings back in ohio and he had linked them together yes yeah another rumor that persists to this day is that the killing stopped because the phantom's own family kept the killer captive after finding out what he had done i kind of like that one too it's weird but that'd like, be really hard to do again there is no proof that any of this is true. It is all lore and urban legends. It's probably bullshit, but we do a lot of bullshit on this podcast. <laughs> this is the bullshit podcast. All right, Stephanie, tell us about the actual suspects. There are really two prime suspects in this case, although I would argue that there are actually three. More on that in a bit. A suspect in the Texarkana Moonlight murders was hard to develop because there was very little information for investigators to work off of. There were numerous false confessions investigated by the police. Nine people confessed to being the Phantom, but their statements did not line up with the facts. One of the more comical suspects questioned was an IRS agent accused by a neighbor in Texarkana, clearly a disgruntled taxpayer. Suspect number one, Henry Booker Tennyson. He was an 18-year-old college student at the University of Arkansas. On November 5, 1948, Two and a half years after the Phantom Killer's last known attack, Tennyson was found dead in his bedroom in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He had committed suicide from ingesting cyanide. Tennyson, it should be noted, had a long history of mental illness. Inside his bedroom was a cryptic note, which contained a riddle for investigators to solve. 
It pertained to Tennyson's lockbox. Police forced open the lockbox, not wanting to wade through another set of riddles, and discovered a number of handwritten letters, one of which claimed responsibility for the Texarkana Moonlight murders, and that the guilt associated with those murders is what had driven Henry Booker Tennyson to suicide. Tennyson's suicide note reads as follows, quote, Why did I take my own life? Well, when you committed two double murders, you would too. Yes, I did kill Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin in the city park that night, and killed Mr. Starks and tried to get Mrs. Starks. You wouldn't have guessed it. I did it when Mother was either out or asleep, and no one saw me do it. For the guns, I disassembled them and discarded them in different places. End quote. Tennyson did play in a band with one of the victims, Betty Jo Booker, the teenage musical prodigy. So case closed, right? Not so fast. 1. Tennyson was known as a pathological liar, probably because he was disturbed and likely suffered from schizophrenia. 2. One of Tennyson's childhood friends said that on the night of Virgil Stark's murder, he had been with Tennyson. They were at home playing a board game, and the friend only remembered because it was that night they found out about the assault, together. 3. Tennyson's fingerprints do not match those found at the crime scenes. 4. He would have been only 15 years old during the time of the attacks, and according to his family, did not have access to the firearms used in the killings. Suspect number 2. Yule Lee Swinney. Swinney was a 29-year-old career criminal with a rap sheet a mile long. He was a petty criminal known mostly for auto theft, and police discovered that cars were often stolen on nights when the Phantom Killer struck. Police were able to locate one of the stolen cars and arrested Swinney's wife, 21-year-old Peggy, when she came to retrieve it. Peggy was a pretty young woman with the face of a Disney princess. When she was arrested, Peggy confessed in great detail that Swinney was the phantom killer and had killed 15-year-old Betty Jo Booker and 17-year-old Paul Martin. Her story changed in some details across several interviews, and police believed she was withholding information due to fear of Swinney or of incriminating herself. At first, she claims after a date they parked on the side of the road. Swinney gets outside of the car. He leaves her alone in the car for two hours. She hears two gunshots. And when he returns, he tells Peggy he killed two people, supposedly. Later, she changes her story and says she witnessed firsthand her husband kill Mary Jo Booker and Paul Martin. She could not keep her story straight. Now, there was circumstantial evidence against Swinney. Police did discover that Swinney, at one point, owned a 32 Colt automatic pistol, the same type of weapon used in many of the killings. Additionally, after Swinney went to jail, the killing stopped in Texarkana. Yule Swinney denied any involvement with the killings. Before police could charge him with the murders, Peggy Swinney recanted her confessions, and because she was married to Swinney, she could not be forced to testify against him. Swinney was never charged with murder and was instead tried and imprisoned as a habitual offender for auto theft. Many investigators today believe Yule Swinney who remained in prison for car theft until 1973, was the phantom killer. He died in a nursing home in 1994. No one was ever charged as the phantom killer, 
although throughout the investigation, almost 400 suspects were arrested. There is no hard evidence that Swinney or Tennyson were the Phantom. I don't believe that a psychopath like the Phantom, and I think it's fair to say they were a psychopath, I know it's a hot take, (laughs) would have ever committed suicide out of guilt or remorse. No. And why would the police think this? Oh, yeah, he killed himself because he felt bad. If you're willing to do all the things that this person has done, you're not unaliving yourself because you feel guilty. Unaliving. (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. Tennyson only makes sense as the killer if the attacks or the attack on the Starks was committed by someone other than the Phantom. And there is some confusion about whether Katie Starks saw her attacker or not. In some accounts, she sees them in the mask. In others, she doesn't see them at all. I believe she did see him. Yeah. I'm going to choose that ending. (laughs) It's like R.L. Stein. You know, you pick your, your own adventure book. I think it makes sense. And also, personally, I believe it was the Phantom. I believe she did see him coming through that window. Yeah. The Phantom changed their MO in an act of desperation for fresh victims after the curfew was enforced. You got to remember, people were locked inside. They were locked in their own homes. They were prisoners in their own homes. He's got to find victims somewhere. You also had teenagers dressing up incognito to try to catch this motherfucker. And And this lasted for months. And I got to say, that's pretty fucking badass. They even threatened the cops. They were, <laughs> there, there's a story about this one cop who's like going around at night and he goes up to these teenagers and he's like, you guys better get inside or something. And the girl's like, well, mister, you're lucky we didn't blow your head off because we thought you were the phantom. Yeah. And he didn't do anything to them because they had a point. Right. But how brave were these fucking kids? We're like, yeah, he's, he's coming after us and we're going we're gonna to go after him. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Well, he targeted teenagers. He targeted the vulnerable. Yeah. I have a number of problems with Sweeney being the Phantom. First of all, his fingerprints don't match those found at the crime scenes. And on the night of the Booker Martin murders, he was sleeping in his car under a bridge near San Antonio, Texas. Great town, San Antonio. I've been there. The Texas Rangers and Sheriff Bill Presley were not convinced that Sweeney was the Phantom. Unknown as either a sick prank or a true confession, an anonymous woman contacted family members of the victims, one in 1999 and another in 2000, apologizing for what her father had done. Yule Sweeney was not known to have ever had a daughter. He could have, but I could find no record of that and neither can the police. Yeah, sounds like a crackpot. As for his wife, Peggy, she left Texarkana, And suddenly, the phantom attacks stop. And you suspect? I believe Peggy was the phantom. She knew unreleased details of Paul Martin's murder that ties her to the crime scene, which she could blame on her husband and downplay her own role. Paul Martin was the 17-year-old boy who was murdered along with 15-year-old Betty Jo Booker in the third phantom attack. Yes, and Peggy had more to lose than her husband, because remember, he is already in legal jeopardy from being a car thief. She did not have a criminal record as far as we know. So why incriminate herself? Think I about See, this. I don't think that makes any, any sense. It doesn't make any sense unless she had an ulterior motive. 
Peggy being the killer would explain why the Phantom wore a mask and why the sexual assaults involved using a gun barrel. I cannot find any evidence of bodily secretions in these sexual assaults. It would also explain why the killer sometimes used a blunt object to stun the victims. Peggy was a woman, and women in general are smaller in stature. And I have seen photos of Peggy, and she's very thin. I don't know quite how tall she is, but she's skinny. She looks diminutive. Yeah. Peggy, being a woman, didn't have the raw physical strength to subdue the victims. And I want to say this. Women can be misogynists. They can have internalized misogyny. Women can be predators, which is something that our society frowns upon. Women can't be predators. Yes, they can. You don't know what you're talking about. It seems to be like this worldwide. Whatever culture you go into, it's like, no, 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 women can't be monsters well it's because women are also mothers yeah i think that and we have to protect the mother it's that mentality (laughs) i believe whoever did this hated people period because they also humiliated all the men the psychopath doesn't think in terms of gender norms they always see themselves as apart from other human beings they might look like us but they are not us peggy's sanity was called into question by one of the investigators who interviewed her He found her demeanor and her behavior highly suspicious and troubling. And Peggy was given a polygraph. Now, I know they are considered unreliable and junk science, but her results pointed towards deception. And when you take it as a whole with all the other evidence, it is yet another sign she is hiding something. But what is she hiding? Because she's spilling the beans and then she's contradicting herself. I do want to make note, and it's not something we did during the narration of this, Mm -hmm. But uh, Peggy was not married to Yule at the time. Um, They only got married after the arrests occurred. So she could not be forced to testify against him. Exactly. That was the only reason. Um, But they were together. They were together. And I'll bring up other reasons why I don't think it could be her. I just think there's just there's a lot of big holes. I don't understand why she could have just shut the fuck up and not said anything. And they're like, oh, I don't know anything about stolen cars. I don't know anything about this. I don't know shit. Uh, Why even talk about any of this unless she just wants attention? As far as we know, the police never checked Peggy's fingerprints because she was a woman. That is the sticking point, yeah. It was inconceivable to the police that a woman could be capable of such horrific violence. I mean, this goes back to even the Victorian era when we covered, you know, Nurse Ratchet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jane Toppin. Yeah, Jane Toppin. (laughs) I believe that Peggy's so-called confessions were an attempt to gaslight and confuse the investigators. She was manipulating them from day one, and I believe it worked. The killer was hidden in plain sight all along. Now, look, I could be wrong, and it's entirely possible the Phantom was actually two killers working in tandem, Peggy and her husband. So when he's in... San Antonio sleeping under a bridge, she goes and commits that murder, and they they swap back and forth. It's kind of why I think some of the killings, the MO is slightly different, and mm. you know, there's variables. I mean, it's possible she'd know how to, and it also cars makes them harder them. to catch when there's two. Yeah, I mean, she would know how to steal cars as well. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Serial killers working in tandem is very rare. It is rare, but it does happen. At best, she is her husband's accomplice. There are stories of couples who serial rape women and kidnap them. Yeah. So there are stories of, of those types of things happening or, or um, 
keeping them captive for years, stuff like that, or even murdering them. So I don't think that's so far out of left well, field. Well, and and I guess if you want to say if it is her, and she's saying all this stuff to the cops, is that her way of maybe bragging, without admitting, admitting it? without admitting? Right, because we do know this about serial killers. Most of them, they love to brag. They, it's like they want people to know of their evil genius. They don't really want to go to jail, but they just want people to know that they were responsible. Well, there's some that do want to go to jail. They just want you to know that they've done the work. And then they're fine writing in prison as long as they get to be a celebrity serial killer. Which is crazy. There's a case from Canada, or (laughs) Canada, uh, what is known as the Ken and Barbie killers, who went around, uh, they were both blonde, uh, Mm -hmm. hence Ken and Barbie, and they went around, they were lovers, uh, raping and murdering people. They were kind of a Bonnie and Clyde, but it really, but they were like kind of preppy at the same. It was really yeah. weird, very Canadian. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's my tenfold hat theory. Honestly, nothing about this case makes any sense. Hence, why we covered it. None of the theories make any sense. I think that's why this has become legendary in the annals of true crime. Now, there is another theory that the Phantom Killer was actually the Zodiac Killer perfecting his technique that he later used in California. But that's 20 years later. Y- yes, but it's only two decades apart. And if this was a very young killer, he could be in his 40s doing it, you know, like if he's in his 20s and he's in his 40s. But if it's Peggy, she later goes on to get married again. If it's the Zodiac, it isn't Peggy. That's my point. This okay. is another theory. <laughs> It all lines up. I know, but you like that Peggy is the killer. <laughs> no, I don't like it. I just believe it. I mean, I think it's your favorite theory as far as all the theories uh, come together. Maybe, but there's another theory we're going to get to. But the Zodiac theory lines up really well. You have the hood, the flashlight, targeting couples on Lover's Lane. Although, as we have mentioned before, there are plenty of killers who operate on Lover's Lane. Lover's Lane is a great place to find victims. Yeah, it's anonymous. It, it's not necessarily full of people. But people will show up there. So you could just hang out there and find a victim. And the Zodiac did call themselves the Red Phantom. I'm not saying they're the same killer, but it does make you wonder. Hmm. It's entirely possible the Zodiac killer was simply inspired by the Phantom. The case was very popular in true crime magazines at the time the Zodiac killings were taking Ah, place. I see. Two psychos with a taste for the theatrical. But it's interesting to think about. Okay. So do you think the Phantom was somebody never on anybody's radar at all? You thought this had something to do with the war? Yeah, I mean, I think... Look, I'm going to play devil's advocate on on Peggy. It is possible that Peggy and her boyfriend were going to Lover's Lane themselves to make out. Or fuck. Whatever. And they saw the bodies. And they didn't report the crime. Because they were busy stealing cars. So... Maybe it's that. And maybe this woman is nutty and wants her time in the sun and they had nothing to do with it. That's possible, right? Um, So she's not the killer, but she wants some kind of notoriety. Mm -hmm. So my theory, because this does feel male, and yeah, I'm going to gender it on this. I do, do because, because of the humiliation of the men, it feels like a guy. This just feels like a guy. And I'm not saying that women can be monsters. We've talked about this over and over again on our pod. And I'm not saying, look, most serial killers are men. Yeah. Okay. But um, if it is a man, 
I had theorized because of the shooting of the Starks and that it was a rifle. And I don't, was that at some kind of range? It was through the window. Not really. But that did make me think, what if this is someone who had been in World War II? It had just ended. Um, A lot of couples did not stay together post-war, sometimes just because of the anxiety of of someone going off to war, or maybe they jumped into a relationship really fast because it was romantic. Um, Or when veterans would come back, they were often violent from what they had experienced from PTSD. And what if this is somebody who had come back and... Not only had he found a taste for blood, he found that he was good at it. And maybe his wife had left him. Maybe there's some kind of unresolved relationship thing there. And he's fucking angry. And he wants to take it out on these young people because he maybe he would have been that age going off to war. Well, I right? want to say that we're not saying that veterans are psychos. No, not at all. But I'm, I'm saying if this particular psycho, I think it, it could line up with this person being a veteran of of a recent war. It's literally a year after the war ended. This is a, you know, yeah. It's so very close. I would think that this is a veteran of a recent conflict who was already a psycho and come back and it, he came back worse. That's well, what I mean. One of the victims was a veteran, a Navy man. That's the second murder, yeah. you know, in a car. And he's angry. My question is this, though, because this is something somebody sent an email about, and we kind of alluded to this, because I do think there's something to this. Do you think that there's something about this town that's cursed? I think any town that first, this isn't something that we mentioned in the beginning, but when they settled this area, they perpetrated a genocide on the indigenous people that lived there. Oh, no, you're all woke. I don't give a fuck. I'm making a joke. (laughs) No, I agree with you. (laughs) Um, and I don't even know if these were like people that they shoved down there and then like assassinated or if it was just people who already lived there, but basically they killed everyone in the region. So the white man could take over and make that their town. And I think that sets the tone for blood and disorder and mayhem. Well, there's also somebody was saying that this town is buried on an Indian burial ground, but I'm confused because I've also heard that there's no such thing as an Indian burial ground. It depends on the tribe and how yeah. they, uh, what their death rates are. But killing hundreds of people or maybe thousands, I don't know. I don't know how big the community was, but they did perpetuate a genocide. Later, they did a lot of um, racial lynchings, things of that sort that were very common in the South. And I do think the land remembers, and I think it harbors a kind of dark energy, if you will, that could, I don't know, draw a killer in. Well, there seem, it seems to be a moral reckoning happening here because people start to take notice. This is a town that has this, like, they want to present themselves as this idyllic post-war suburb. Right. But there's been all this violence happening underneath. Mm-hmm. And... The killer seems to embody that violence finally getting out into the open, right. where it's actually covered. And and what if, you know, places that have had uh, wars take place in an area, right? Or where they have done mass genocides, because this has happened all over in the United States. And I do believe that the land holds, you know, imprints and memories. And, and when man does evil, it creates an energy that can linger, right? This is also one of the theories behind ghosts ghost stories is it, <laughs> it, it, you know like houses that are haunted that oh. leaves an energy that 
Well, that's if you think it's an actual person or not. But like I a just, murder committed. But I just mean like the the land remembers, and unless you try to heal the land of what you've done to it, what you've perpetuated in that region, it's gonna. I, I think it could almost be like a nexus where it draws in other dark energy, other dark entities, if you will, people who are prone to evil. Well, we also talked about in part one the the saloon that caught fire and that horrible tragedy right. that happened, the Paragon horror and people killed themselves because they were trapped under rubble and no one would come to help them. They couldn't get to them. Yeah. And it just seems like there was calamity after calamity. There's also, this place had some of the most horrific racial violence. That's what I mean. Of any. Yeah. And you know, there's the other thing. This is something I haven't seen anyone discuss. The Phantom's costume looks like he's kkk I, that was the first thing i thought when you started telling me about this case but I'm no like, one ever mentions that it's or analyzes a pillow that. case was he a member of the clan if it's a man you know yeah. that's a weird thing but he's not killing far as we know people of color he's going after teenagers and i think that's what throws people for a loop mm-hmm. but maybe that was what he wore to a clan rally because i think there was clan in this area yeah and they pretty much would use a fucking pillowcase yeah so the survivors of the first attack, Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry, lived in fear that the Phantom would come for them. The assault ended their romance and seems to have cut their lives short. Mary passed away from cancer at only 38 years old, and Jimmy died in his sleep at 54. They survived the attack, but they never really escaped. The trauma of that night haunted them. For the rest of their lives. And I find that really sad and very tragic. Mm-hmm. And uh, although apparently Jimmy went to work for NASA, which is pretty impressive, what I will always remember about this case isn't the killer, it's the victims. And I've talked before how I think the victims are very tough. Yeah. For me, this is more their story. And I don't mean that in a feel good, hallmark sort of way. I mean, that's what most interests me about this case. Katie Starks. I don't need to say anything else. Katie Starks, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) The will to live is a powerful thing. Yeah. Now, do you think it's possible that the Phantom, having failed to kill Katie Starks, might have taken his own life? Maybe. Yeah, I always get the sense the Phantom was humiliated by her escape, and I don't know why, because it's like, I have no idea. Because he didn't get get them both. Because the killing is always about two people, a couple. Um, and, And there is that murder of the homeless man on the tracks, and I do think that's related. I really, really do. Yeah. I think... The Phantom having missed his chance with Katie, and she miraculously gets away by the skin of her teeth you know she is that the phrase yeah (laughs) uh yeah she gets away and that would infuriate someone who is used to getting their way over other people's lives whether they lived or not so yeah i think he definitely killed the person who was like found at the train tracks um i don't know i don't know because it's like he he gets his rage out on the on the homeless person if that is him if that's him and I she, think it is. She was the one that got away, and her face was blown off, and yet she manages to make it out alive. That's got to be humiliating. The Phantom was so relentless in their pursuit of their victims, and yet here they failed and almost got caught. Mm-hmm. 
that had to have been a devastating setback for someone who clearly thinks of themselves as an apex predator. They never said that, but I, I get to say Oh, sense. yeah. Yeah, they think they're hot shit of doing course, what they did. In reality, they're just an apex loser. <laughs> well, one thing that did happen, though, what I could gather from research is that Katie's next door neighbor was poisoned. And I thought that was really odd, that she died of poisoning, like, not long after this. A couple years later. Like, 1948, I believe. Yeah. And they didn't under, they didn't, they never found who did it. They never, it's unexplained. Shit, it could have been another church lady. Yeah. Got pissed at her and poisoned a pie. poisoning is not the Phantom's M.O., but poisoning is something women are known to do, so. Yeah, but I don't think Peggy stayed, not, yeah, Peggy, yeah. I don't think Peggy stayed in the area, right? When she yeah, remarries. Yeah, I believe she moves to Dallas. Yeah, I don't. I just don't think it's her. I think she wanted her time in the sun and for some fucking reason thought it would be fun to uh, frame her boyfriend. Well, what she did do is she wrote to her parents when she was in jail and she basically told them, yeah, I lied to the police about everything. She bragged about it. And they're suckers, whatever. And then the police intercepted the letter. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, even though she lied to the police, which is perjury, she did all kind of perjury. They let her go, which is odd. But I guess, you know, you don't want girls in jail. So, I don't know. That Again, this is an example of women getting preferential treatment. Right. And I'm not, look, our society is shitty to women, okay? But this is this weird inverted misogyny where we'll let women who do bad things off the hook. We'll let uh, child abuser women yeah. keep their kids. And that happens all the time in family court. So, and I'm not saying she should go to prison forever for perjuring yourself, but it, it's still a crime. Well, I think she's probably a sociopath. I'll give you that. I think she's fucking, you know, there's something not right about her. She knew more. Oh, Any yeah. Any way you look at it, she knew more than what she was saying. She yeah. was hiding something. Right. Even though at one point she says, yeah, I was there when uh, he was. Uh, How ra- do we know she wasn't like fucking some other guy? Yeah. Well, she we gets, don't know she that. She gets married right after this guy goes to jail. Yeah, she annuls that marriage, her, you know, sham marriage, and then goes and marries some other guy. So, I, I don't know. I think I think there's something weird about her, but I don't think that the, she's that she's the killer. I think she just wanted the attention. I think she wanted to be famous. I think she was playing a fucking game. And oh, I, that's what I believe. Yeah, and one of the detectives did say she had a mind that was like a bag of cats. It's the same one who found her troubling and right. manipulative. Right, and I do think she's she's trying to play games. And this is back when... Because there's no reason for her to admit any of this stuff. This is back when the sexism was so strong that men think, women could never play games. They're just <laughs> mothers. Yeah, even though they were taking care of all kinds of shit as they were off to My war. My point I'm trying to make, and this is the final thing I'm going to say about her, is that she did not think of herself as a woman first. Mm-hmm. If she is the killer, she thinks of herself as a predator and laughs at the gender norms because psychopaths, like I said, always see themselves as apart from other people. They have a deep sense of grievance mm-hmm. and rage, but they also see themselves as victims. Wow, it's like you're talking exactly about my sister-in-law, X one <laughs> Who was the phantom killer? Did the phantom's killing spree really stop in 1946? Or did they simply move to a new location, meaning to cause havoc elsewhere? The urban legend of the sex-crazed killer in a mask will endure as a campfire horror story for decades to come. And since the crimes happened so long ago, and evidence no longer remains, the true identity of the phantom killer will likely remain a mystery. The strange case of the phantom killer and the murders committed by a dark, 
and malevolent force are unsolved and unexplained. So as we wrap up, I have a question. Who the fuck is Mike Vanderbilt? He is a Keebler elf, bad hair, feet, not a powerful presence. <laughs> that tells me nothing. <laughs> Mike Vanderbilt is, was, a member of the Halloweenies podcast. He was something of a nerd blogger based out of Chicago. And he wrote for the AV Club and Fangoria magazine, which is a horror movie magazine. And he was a bartender in Chicago. Uh, I know, I forget, I'm not going to say the name of the bar because I don't want to get them in trouble. I'm a fan of the Halloweenies podcast. I don't always agree with their takes, but I think it's a good horror film history podcast. They're, they're entertaining. And I have never met Mike in person. Mike and I were Twitter mutuals. I have had conversations with him here and there online for, you know, probably the last six months. I just started following him in the last, like, six months. Mm. But I've, I've listened to him for years. And we are, you know, we're about the same age, early 40s, and have, a I think, similar taste in horror movies. Although, he looks rough. <laughs> he looks a lot older than me due to his lifestyle and bad habits. I always knew that Mike was a bit of a narcissist. I mean, this is a guy who tried to sell t-shirts with his name on it. And he's not like a musician. He's not really anything. No. You know? The only people I see selling t-shirts with their name on it are fucking YouTubers and actual like single artists. Well, most YouTubers are, nar are sociopaths. Of course. But, you know, like most people who have podcasts don't sell their names on t-shirts. No! I would never put That's my really fucking name dorky. on a shirt. Like, ooh, you cannot force me to do it. That's so cringe. I mean, this is who we're dealing with. Very advanced cringe. <laughs> Not just cringe, advanced cringe, which is like a whole other level. Yeah, and I didn't know who this guy was. I knew Michael listened at the Halloweenies. I'm not a big podcast listener myself. I know that's uh, fucking yeah, shocking. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is that will always be ironic. Um, <laughs> kind of sad, but so Monday comes. We're recording this on Saturday, this Monday of this week. And I log into Twitter and I see the Halloweenies podcast account has tweeted the following, and I quote. Mike Vanderbilt is no longer with the Halloweenies. He won't be participating in future episodes, end quote. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, and everybody was like, what? What's going on here? You know, like, what? And we tried to find clues. Like, everybody. And as soon as Michael starts telling me about this, I'm like, oh, I bet he raped women. That was my first fucking answer. I was uh, like, I bet knew it's immediately that it was something sex related. Yeah. I've always found Vanderbilt to be funny, if a bit obnoxious and skeevy. But I thought he was harmless. You know, there's just, he's kind of lecherous, but whatever. There's men. He's into porn a lot, you know? Yeah. And I've, I've talked. Although now that when you look back at it, you're like, that's a sign. That's a red flag. Look, 
There's nothing wrong with liking beautiful women. I like beautiful women. Or even liking porn. But if you have an obsession with it. Yeah, I actually, I know I've talked about this before. I don't really watch porn. I know people think that's fucking weird. They think I'm like asexual or something. And it's like, no, I just, I'm not into porn. I don't like the porn that's being made now. It's just, it's gross. I don't like it. I I don't, it doesn't do anything for me. That kind of shit doesn't do anything for me. It's it's so weird. I have a very specific thing of what is, turns me on and what is beautiful and, 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 you know, I like women in the pinup style and stuff like that. But my, and I'm assuming Mike does too, but Mike just came across, he, he has this phrase he would use in every podcast when, you know, cause a lot of the actresses in Friday the 13th movies are porn stars or the directors are porn directors. Yeah. Especially in some of the later movies. And he has this phrase he would say over and over, Stone Cold Fox. And it was cute at first, but it got old very quickly. And the other guys were like, okay, let's move on. The joke is dead. Like, they were talking about <laughs> Evil Dead Rise. And he was like, well, thought the movie was okay. But man, those women, they were stone cold fox. And he just kept going on and on. It's like, oh. That, like, like, that's enough. <laughs> that's why he liked the movie was because of the girls. Yeah. Which is a weird thing. Because there's plenty of beautiful women in really terrible movies and terrible TV. Mm-hmm. That does it, that's not how you judge art. I knew a guy who was just like this. And he was a pervert. So, yeah. Well, as it turns out... Mike, like the Phantom Killer, is a bit of a sex-crazed maniac. And if the allegations against him are true, something much worse. Mike Vanderbilt is allegedly a serial rapist. He has used his job as a bartender to drug and rape women. Allegedly. Allegedly. Mm Mm-hmm. He has physically abused women. He slapped one girl so hard on the ass he left like a giant mark on her. And this is when she was in the bar and she said it wouldn't go away for like a week. And it was through jeans. Yeah. And he, she, she said that was him, his idea of flirting. Yeah. Uh, and he also urinated on one of his victims who was unconscious. That is a really gross thing to do. That's gross to do even if it's with your partner. Ugh. It's like something Trump would do, you know? like Yeah. Uh, but look, these are allegations. I have looked through them. I'm not going to say any of the victims' names. Don't ask me. Don't send me an email. It's from Facebook. That's all I'll say. But one woman decided to share her story. I don't know what brought this on. Maybe she just got sick of it and she fucking decided to tell the truth about what happened to her or that this thing had happened to her. And then other women started sharing their stories very quickly. I... And now there are more. Every day there are more. I believe the women. I do too. They are credible. Mike Vanderbilt seems to me is a sociopathic serial rapist. A Bill Cosby level rapist or predator. And he's been bartending for how fucking long? Oh God, like 20 years. So potentially for 20 years he could have been doing this. Yeah. If you want to laugh, go look him up on his LinkedIn profile. That's pretty funny. (laughs) The picture he uses. (laughs) Would you say that... Stephanie, you're a woman. Is Mike Vanderbilt a ladies' man? Because he kind of... Fuck no. He kind of... Absolutely not. He looks like a douche. (laughs) Now, I'll tell you that. So there's a picture of him where he's trying... He's always trying to be in a band. He's always trying to be in some band, which I think is another angle that... Well, he is in a band. ...to be a predator against women. It's called Mike Vanderbilt and something else. Well, his hair, he has chunky fucking highlights. And I mean the Walmart kind. 
Like, I'm not, look, I don't, I don't want to hate on the stylists who are working at Walmart, but you're probably not the best one. He if probably ended does up at the his Walmart own hair. Salon. No, no. This looked like salon style, back-to-back <laughs> sliced foils of, of, you know what I'm talking about, people. You've seen these ugly, chunky highlights, ugly ones. I thought it was from the early 2000s. And you're like, no, no, this was like four years ago. I'm like, the fuck? The fuck? <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. And the thing is, is he and every photo of him, no matter what style he's trying to go for, he tries too hard. It doesn't look natural. It looks really weird. It's like he's not a real person. He's a wannabe celebrity. Yeah. You know, everything about him is fake and it's off putting. So that on its face is something that like probably why he doesn't have a real girlfriend. And, and interestingly enough, he's a try hard. He Michael was telling me that um, on one of their latest episodes, he was saying that his ex-girlfriend saw him at the bar he was working at. Maybe she didn't know he worked there. She got really mad. They got into an argument. And then he said that she used to put out cigarettes on his neck. Well, from what we've been hearing from victims, I think it was the other way around. No, what happened was is she came in the bar and he says they used to be in a relationship and that, and she put out cigarettes on his and neck they, but yeah, he's right. like i was crappy to her too it was mutually abusive and then we had a, a you know a reconciliation but we're not together but she's with somebody else now but we understood we apologized to each other it was a weird thing to bring up on a film podcast and like, wasn't it in the middle of nothing like it, i forgot what they were talking about but it's just odd like, why are you doing this? He's trying to let you know he's a good guy. Yeah, and that's that's the vibe you get from him is, I'm a good guy. Because oftentimes, uh, from what the victims were saying, he would invite them back after they had been drinking at the bar. To his he, apartment. To, which was very nearby. It was at the south side of Chicago. And say, hey, you can just crash at my place. You're you're all drunk. You know, I'll, you know, I'll sleep in my room. You guys can take the couch, whatever. And then this is when the assaults would occur. Yeah. And they would wake up with this man passed out on them which i think was another power move on his and part. he's really hairy and in his like chest hairs were stuck into one of the women's uh like bo- her the, naked the, skin the imprint and he had pulled her panties down and then there's some people and i'm not talking about what we're going to get to in a minute but there's some people say well it wasn't really rape because we don't know it's like it's if you're fucking unconscious it the fuck is it's an it's sexual assault <laughs> sexual assault there's no consent and i think he was roofing them i think he's it's roofing them it's it's clear rohypnol rape yeah yeah allegedly yeah but that's what that shit is. And a bartender, the other thing that this really made me mad, and I didn't know that who this fucking guy was, but this fucking shit makes me so mad because oftentimes when you are at a bar, the person who's supposed to be one of the safe people is a bartender. You could be out with an abusive boyfriend, you need help, or some guy is being creepy to you. And there are kind of secret signals that women know or we can learn to tell the bartender like, hey, this guy is giving me the creeps. <laughs> yeah. And it's like in code. And bartenders are, are known to be helpful in that way towards women so for him to abuse his basically a position of trust is really disgusting but this is typical of predators you know we see this with well there's a question of what how many people knew about this Mm -hmm. and when did they know it when did the bar know it the bar has shit canned him the other thing that's happened is he has basically made his instagram private and he has made his twitter i think he's deleted it I think he's still up on Facebook. I looked him up on there. But, and he's got this really dorky picture. It's really bad. All know? of them are bad. <laughs> Even when he's like slender, he still looks like he's trying so He's got hard. this like paunchy look now. He looks like a guy who drinks a lot. Yeah. Like he's a bloated drunk. He's got, yeah, he's got this, the swelling. Which is why he looks so much older than me, you know. So, 
me being me, I do what I always do. I make jokes about terrible people. And I made this joke, and look, I'm going to let you guys decide if this is inappropriate or not. I tweeted, uh, Devin Faraci, <laughs> Joss Whedon, uh, and Trump walk into Mike Vanderbilt's bar. Now, I want to be clear. I wasn't joking about sexual assault. I was making fun of them. For those of you who don't know, Devin Faraci is a similar type figure. He is a nerd blogger mm-hmm. who I know someone he personally raped, but he got in trouble and was canceled years ago because it came out he was sticking his hands in a women's pants, and he was literally doing the Access Hollywood thing yeah. that Trump does. Particularly if they were gay, if the women were gay. Now, there's been rumors mm-hmm. for years about Joss Whedon, but one thing we know about Joss Whedon is he is an abusive prick. He's a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Even to men. Even as well. if you like him, he his work, he is an abusive prick. And look, Trump is Trump. Okay. There's nothing I don't need to say anymore. Oh, he just got convicted of sexual assault. Yeah. So But I wasn't making fun of rape. Because I don't think that's funny. Right. And men can be raped too. Rape happens to everybody. It happens yeah. to children. I was making fun of them. Okay, I make edgy jokes. Because they're disgusting. I make, look, I have some (laughs) tweets. You're going to find my tweets that are problematic. I'm going to say shit sometimes it sounds asshole-ish or just gross. But I do that. That's part of what Twitter is, is you can go through somebody's feed and you can find, you know, like James Gunn. You find all kinds of, in his case, I think some of his shit's indefensible, but... (laughs) I don't know what to You're think about him anymore. Find, yeah, I like him as because I love his his movies. I, I, yeah, and I'm <laughs> actually getting excited for the Superman movies. Like, I'm, I'm not, but <laughs> I am because well, the, some of the actors I'm really digging. I'm digging the casting, but there's nothing ever funny about rape. But this account responds to me, and it's got like no followers, and mm-hmm. it's like you're making a joke about rape, and then, but then. I look on the account, and it's all just defending Mike Vanderbilt, saying, oh, this is just hearsay from 10 years ago. And immediately, I knew this is Mike. Mike has created another account. Oh, and he's calling you a cuck and a mook. Uh, Yeah, a cuck. (laughs) Am I a cuck, Stephanie? Do I... Am I the type of man who just bends to your will? No, baby. No. (laughs) Look, I am an ally to women. And I support women, but I don't even consider myself a feminist. I believe that you can't be a man and be a feminist. And I know that sounds like something Andrew Tate would say, but I don't mean it like that. I mean, women are the feminists. Yeah. Men can be allies and support women, but they can never truly be a feminist in my mind. Because you can't truly understand what it's like to be a woman. And this is, yes, and this is not me trying to, you know holier than thou myself i just that's it, how i believe because look i'm still a man and i still you know find women attractive i still you know sexualize women i think in my mind sometimes i do and it's it's it i think that's normal um means you have a healthy sex drive that's actually yeah. what it means and women do the same we do the with same women. thing yes you we know do. look at all the mi- women uh, talking about i am shameless about talking about male celebrities to michael (laughs) and i'll talk to you about female celebrities because we're comfortable with it we don't get jealous we do not get jealous because they're celebrities like we're never going to meet these people it's called having a healthy relationship (laughs) yeah now i feel like we're one of those relationship podcasts oh god (laughs) we are not perfect either no but i'm an ally to women and i support women and i always support people who have been the victims of crimes this is very personal to me. Mm-hmm. And I've talked before about how when I was a kid, I was almost molested by a neighbor. It's horrible. You know, it's disgusting, whatever. But 
This account had no followers. It was obviously Mike. And I had secondhand embarrassment that he would stoop to this level of going around and calling his critics cucks. Like, immediately he reverts to, like, a 17-year-old alt-right shithead. Oh, and he was, like, shitting on the Halloweenies podcast. Because they, fu- they shit-canned him. Because they fucking shit him. But it makes the allegations more true in my mind. Him deleting his Twitter account is a sign. He didn't uh, say it's not true. He just deleted everything and blocked, you know, and, yeah. and shut people out. And then he was fired because they knew. They bar knew. They had to have known. And I think, I think that's going to play a role because... There might be women that actually went to the hospital they could be and had a rape kit done, and maybe they just decided not to press charges He's a because liability. it's hard. It's hard, but the fact if you knew, then you're liable because crimes could have been committed at this establishment, and I don't know why any any bar anywhere in the universe would keep bartenders on like this i don't fucking care well, there might be more men there that are doing that that's horrific because if it's in the south side of chicago that's a rough area mm-hmm. and and you know what's i feel bad now because i was thinking well i love chicago been there twice yeah i would lo- i was thinking well maybe i'll go to that bar you know this is before this came out i'll, I'll meet mike hello mike how you doing I like your podcast whatever now that thought and just makes well, my skin crawl and here's the thing there was a woman actually who was she has a podcast and she was actually getting ready to meet him at the bar for drinks uh-huh. not as a date but as a work thing as a work thing and talk about the podcast and she had some reason she had to cancel she's like thank god i had to cancel. thank god yeah because who knows what would have happened mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think they bear some responsibility of course they do and it, look even if this thing never goes to a criminal court we've already seen with trump that it could go to a civil and people could sue for this especially if they have evidence against him because there's the and i hate this with with when it comes to rape and child abuse and you know child sexual abuse that there's a statute of limitations i don't think there ever should be when it comes to rape i think it's a look i think it's like this there's people that make this argument well i shouldn't be canceled for something i said 10 years ago and i agree with that but when it's an actual crime Mm -hmm. or you know or, or several years ago he did this he raped this woman i'm assuming that is on facebook that's a crime, okay? He committed a crime, and yeah. that should stand. I don't think there should be a limitation. No, I don't either. I don't either. I I, I do not agree with statutes of limitations when it comes to um, bodily misconduct. If you want to, you know, be a little well, more he's a predator because he's a predator. The thing about my he's dangerous. The thing, if he ends up at another bar, he's dangerous. He is, I don't know. There was something on Reddit somebody posted, and I I really think it's him. Mm-hmm. He was trying to do this thing of saying, well. You know, Mike has alcohol problems, and if he would just stop drinking, he wouldn't be... Except it's premeditative if you are buying Rohypnol to drug women, and you're stone-cold sober doing that shit. So are you drunk 24-7? I don't think drinking makes anybody a rapist. No, I think it... It could, what it does is it lowers your inhibitions. I'm not an alcoholic, but I've been drunk plenty of times that I've never wanted to rape a woman. I just laugh. I mean, yeah. that's my default. I when might I get have got over, oh, you know, flirty, more flirty with women, right? Because your inhibitions. Go but down. I've never like been in a like that, like or 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 just you know, saying I want to, you know, something really horrible sexually mm-hmm. to them. Like, no, that's him. That's who he is. That's who he is. That's what disturbs me about this is because I've been listening for several years now to a guy on a podcast who turned out to be a serial rapist, 
And it makes you go, you, you, you know, you go to the store, you go inside somewhere and you're standing in line. You think, you look around, you think, well, who, wh- is there a guy in here who's like that? Is there a guy in here who's a serial killer? Is there a guy in here who's a fucking rapist? You know, because... Or child molester? Or, yeah, or child molester. You would never know? You would never know. They just look like a normal person. You know, or they right? just look kind of dorky. That, not that Mike looks like a normal person. He doesn't. <laughs> but... You know, he looks like a, a, a douche, whatever, but there's plenty of guys that look like douches and they aren't rapists or serial killers. But this guy is dark. This is a dark motherfucker. Like, he is a, he's a doofus, but he is, a, he is sick. Yeah. He's a sicko. And I don't think that this stopped 10 years ago. And I don't think she was the only one. Um, I have no idea how long he was doing it and how long he was no do- one knows no one knows and that's how far does the rabbit hole go yeah and, and the weird thing and what you were telling me about about him is that he actually was pretty intelligent and knowledgeable about uh the film category you like that we both like actually was his he's horror. knowledgeable about films in general and on a, one of the podcasts he's talking about what a piece of shit harvey weinstein is that shows you a level of deception right there because if mm-hmm. you're doing that you're trying to, you know, not that everybody who talks about Harvey Weinstein is doing that, but he clearly is a hypocrite. Yeah. Like, the the audacity of this yeah. guy. Because he's very similar to Harvey Weinstein. He just is a nobody. He's a loser. Yeah. Yeah. Who, you know, makes... Except he's, he's more like Cosby, because he's drugging women. And that's the fucking freakiest thing ever. I don't ever. even know if Weinstein did that. I think he just raped them, which is horrible in and of itself. Yeah. But the drugging is, that is on another level to me. Yeah. That's that's much scarier. Yeah. Because it's almost like you're kind of poisoning somebody to get access to it. So they'll be helpless. Yeah. And it's it, it's a really sick psychopathic way. I think it's a, a fetish. I yeah. think it's his dark fetish. So you have two women from the horror film community. Uh, Jen Adams, who has her own pod called Psychoanalysis, which deals with mental health and horror. And it's really good. And you have Rachel Reeves, who writes for Fangoria, which Mike Vanderbilt also wrote for. And they both regularly guest on the Halloweenies, and both women are very smart and have great commentary. So my question to you, Stephanie, is do you think the Halloweenies should actually disavow Mike Vanderbilt on their next pod? Should they personally apologize? out of respect for both the women who have guested on their pod and the women who listen to them and the women he has allegedly violated. If it were my podcast, I would. If it were me, I would. So I think they should, because even if you didn't know, it's some it's a horrible thing to discover. And this could be triggering to people who have listened to their podcast. This could be triggering to people who knew what he did what he allegedly did mike vanderbilt and uh, I, I think it's important to differentiate yourself going forward that you don't condone anything that this man has done allegedly <laughs> when he keeps saying that uh and and that you stand with the victims that you are on their side and that you never meant to um create a space that could create harm Mm-hmm. Because for me, if it were my podcast, you know, if we had had someone on our podcast and it turned out that they were a monster, we would definitely be saying something about it because that would feel like a betrayal to um, ourselves and our own podcast and the people who listen to us. Because I feel like we stand for something. Now, it's a little different. We are true crime. We do stand for, I think, 
a certain type of law and order. But even still, I mean, I think I just think it's important to put that out there. You know, I maybe they don't want to. Maybe it's a PR thing. Maybe they have lawyers saying you shouldn't say some, certain things. I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, I think they're associated with the bloody, disgusting networks. It's right. Like a so corporation. maybe maybe there's something. But I, I, if I were them, I would at least, you know, if that's the case, I would be saying, look, I, I think we should have a public statement, you know, saying that we disavow these things. It's, it's morally reprehensible, and you don't want to be related to that. And he was on a lot of their pod. A lot. So because three or four seasons. That's worth. a lot, and. And has a bunch of their Patreon content is full of Mike Vanderbilt. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what you do. I don't know. Do you re-record all those They're episodes? Not going you to. can't do that. So, yeah, I think you need to say. I need, think you do. But it, it kind of damages their brand. It, it, absolutely, from a business perspective. Yeah. I, it, you know, look, we've had somebody on who. You know, they're not a rapist or anything, like that, but they have some really out there beliefs. And I don't think they're coming back on. Um, I think it's kind of a mutual thing. Uh, but, you know, we've never had like a rapist on, as right. far as I know. <laughs> right, right. But I think if we had found out, I, I mean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. We, we would have to say something. I mean, I would feel obligated to say something because it. Uh, we ne- would vehemently condemn them. Well, there there is one thing, and I've, I don't know if I've ever shared this, but I am a survivor of um, sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And so for me, this. Anytime. And this is one reason we don't do a lot of cases that have a lot of rape in them because I. I just can't read that shit. So um, over and over and over. But again. we did do a case where Bigfoot was raping people. So. <laughs> it's like a we do monsters and right paranormal stuff. We we are actually going to be not doing any conspiracy stuff because right. I'm completely disavowing that. But shit. you know, I didn't know who this person was. I think you had maybe briefly talked about him before, but I didn't know who he was until all of this broke, and it really disgusted me no i have so many different levels i've talked to him probably 20 times but i had no idea he was like this and i and i the first thing i said was like i feel like the you know the halloween you should probably say something more than just you know he won't be on at least address it in a pod or something um and maybe they're just trying to figure it out it must be I, I don't think they knew. This has just been the year of disappointment there are so many people i'm just disappointed in personally friends of mine you know, there's been people who've been on the pod I've been disappointed in. There's been people I know in real life I've been disappointed in. And I am disappointed in Mike Vanderbilt because I did think he was kind of funny and he's very knowledgeable. You know, and look, he looks like a doofus, but I don't, at the end of the day, I don't really care what you look like as long as you're interesting, you're funny, and you're a good person. But it turns out, as we talked about a lot in these mm-hmm. two episodes, sometimes the face, you know, the mask, it is the true face. Well, and what he looks like is sort of a personification of who he really is inside. Well, it's like the, the monster in the British Isles who was this ordinary looking guy, but he was breaking into people's homes and, and raping women and children. And I'll say again, look. He hasn't been convicted. No. These are all allegations, but they keep mounting and mounting. And one of the things that actually happened, um, like right before we recorded this, is uh, I got a DM on Twitter from a woman who shall remain nameless because she has asked for her privacy, but she wanted me to share her story. And I will not be sharing her email or her name or her Twitter handle, but she has thousands of followers. This is not some random you know, nobody, not Mm -hmm. that, not that they don't count as well, but, uh, this is someone in the horror community, I believe in Chicago. Okay. And she claims that Mike Vanderbilt drugged and sexually assaulted her for an entire day. And 
also that he urinated on he urinated on her, similar to what we've seen with one of the other victims, and then apologized, which sounds very Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was in and out of consciousness for an entire day, and uh, apparently barely escaped. I don't know. This is a thing. This is very Jeffrey Dahmer, like they're escaping yeah. the apartment. This this weird thing. And she says this happened around four years ago. And I know there's going to be people say, well, it didn't happen four years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, the the amount of time fucking matters. She specifically wanted me to say that she felt that her life was in danger. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say that I do believe her. I find her totally credible. And she claims that Vanderbilt has a crew of people around him who have protected him for years. Uh, She says it's a conspiracy of silence. That's the actual term she uses. She does not believe the Halloweenies knew he was a sexual predator. Uh, so maybe she knows them. I don't know. Maybe I'll ask her later. Um, I think it's important to give the Halloweenies the benefit of the doubt. I do. And not, not just because I like their podcast. Like, if they knew, then fuck them too. But I, I don't I, think they did. Can I just say that I, I'm really sorry that happened to her? Mm-hmm. I am really sorry that happened to her. And I'm sorry it happened to any of these women. And... Well, it's infuriating. Yeah. Um, it makes me feel a certain way. And look. So I'm we, really sorry that that has happened to you and that you've had to live now live with this, um, what's been done to you. And I can relate, unfortunately. We are a nation of laws, and these allegations against Vanderbilt, um, you know, they, he hasn't been convicted yet. But he clearly is a predator, mm-hmm. at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. I think that much is clear. He's a vile and disgusting sociopath. And I just want to say, I want to ask you, like, what is going on? You know, because this is all the time on Twitter now with like men talking about they want to procreate and what it means to be a man, just to be a rapist. And it's like, what is happening to our society? They're obsessed with hymens, for one thing. They're obsessed with the cleanliness of a vagina, but they don't know how it fucking works or even where it is. And they're obsessed with, like, raping women to show some, like, ownership. And this is... It's disgusting. This is something that has just started in the last, like, two years. And I know somebody personally who is now on this bandwagon of, you gotta have kids, you gotta breed, men are... He tries to cloak it in this, like, chivalry thing, but men, you know, the women are feminine and delicate, and the men are alpha, and, you know, they're all Western nationalists. Fuck. And I don't know if Vanderbilt subscribes to this. I think Vanderbilt's just a garden variety rapist. Mm-hmm. Um, but he do- clearly has a side of him that just sees when women as objects, as nothing more than centers for his pleasure, mm-hmm. and he's willing to incapacitate them, allegedly, uh, to get what he needs from them. And I just don't know where this is coming from. Is this is this just political, or is this something in society? It's just bubbling up. It might be a couple of, of things, because we've seen there's a kind of rot in society, and I think with less opportunities for, you know, people in general, but for men, and especially in these gendered societies, and America is a gendered society. And so when you take away opportunities for people to make money, then they feel isolated and ostracized from society. Because what woman is going to marry some, like, guy who can only make, like, minimum wage? To have like kids with and shit. Well, right? these are these no are, one's going to do that. These are dark days. It is, and but there there are reasons why people are choosing not to have children as well, and it's because can't support yourself. Um, 
being in a relationship is is getting harder to do. The online dating has gotten way worse. Yes, but there's also the fact some people just don't want kids, and that's okay. That's totally fucking fine. But some this, of us can't this have weird them, association also with men wanting to have children but not raise them. They want to impregnate oh, for sure. And I'm seeing more and more of that. And it's increasingly dangerous to become pregnant now as a woman. Not yeah. even before they took away Roe. All right. It's become increasingly dangerous because there are no fucking hospitals anywhere and they're just letting women goddamn die. And primarily it's happening to poor women and women of color. So and you're asking us to get pregnant in, in an economy with no health care, with society, with none of these things, with none of these social safety nets in place. And then you've got these guys who listen to people like Andrew Tate, right? Or Tim Pool. There's a bunch of these fuckos all over like fuckos. YouTube. <laughs> all over YouTube and other social media spaces saying, oh, this is what it means to be a man. Man, it's kidnapping we're women. Gonna, we're going to get an email from somebody saying, well, you guys are talking about Mike Vanderbilt and you had to say the F word. How dare you? <laughs> well, they can fuck off too. <laughs> But yeah, I was I, here for all the discussions of horrible things. But when you said the F word, I left the chat. Well, I think what I'm trying, my point is, I I think it's just like Nazism, what Hitler did when he said, oh, it's all the Jews fault. I think a lot of these incels, these men who can't get dates, and so much of it is they didn't develop a personality. It's not just money. They didn't develop a personality. They're creepy. Uh, no one wants to be with a fucking creepy person. And that goes for chicks, too. If you're a creepy chick, no one's going to date you. So you need to meet and hang out with other people. It's like we're people. dealing with a bunch of Elon Musk wannabes who are poor. <laughs> yeah. And then they're and then they think the answer is to hate all women and to take what they can what they feel they deserve by force. And I've seen I've seen these things written. Well, it keeps showing up I've in my said Twitter before feed. That I think we're headed towards a society where women hate men and men hate women, and that's a society that that's collapse. That, that is, is collapse. Societal collapse. Yeah. I know some of you out there go, well, I've got my reasons for hating men. Maybe you do. And I know some of you are saying, oh, I've got my reasons for hating women. Well, maybe you do. But you can't function as a society If we're like all that. doing that, it yeah. doesn't work. It collapses. And I and I do think some a lot of it has to do with how fast society is now moving, the pace it, it's at with social media, because it is isolated all of us. I don't see any of my neighbors. I try to make friends with our neighbors. I never fucking see them. They have dogs and shit. You think they would be like more friendly? They're not. They're on their phone. <laughs> Everyone is plugged in and it's made us. We are not meant to be alone. We are not meant to be islands. We are meant to be social creatures. You either live together or you die alone. <laughs> We're basically monkeys. Okay. We are primates. We're primates. This goes back to the one of the core tenets of this podcast, which is my belief that humans are inherently bad. They are inherently violent. That doesn't excuse bad behavior, though, because we're civilized. That's the, the whole point of society it's this and civilizing. It's idea that we're civilized out of our uh, carnality, right. you could say. And, and our basic base But it's needs. like we're retreating back to that carnality, and mm -hmm. men are just acting like a bunch of just savages, really. Oh, they're saying that sexual assault has been perpetrated against them because women won't give them sex. That's not sexual assault. Yeah, I know. But this is what they're saying in those fucking incel forums and shit. It's creepy. It's really creepy. And Or now they're just saying it on their Facebooks. Because people screen grab it, and they send it into that Ask Aubrey account on Twitter, which... I know. <laughs> I can't even look at that. It's I don't know if I can keep following it, because I'm like, you know what? You're about to make me hate everybody, so... Gross. <laughs> and, and occasionally, a, a fine, horrible woman will show up on that account, too, doing something really 
disgusting, like saying you should breed. Well, I saw yesterday there were, uh, somebody was trying to say that, uh, you know, January 6th was perpetrated only by men. And that, huh. is, that is categorically false. Because who was killed in January 6th? Who tried to assassinate Pence? It was a woman. She was shot by the Capitol Police. Mm-hmm. She was a QAnon person. Many of the organizers of January 6th were rich white women. We would not have Trump. We would never have had Trump if it weren't for women. We would never have had these abortion bans if it weren't for yeah, they're fucking the swing vote. women. They're the swing vote. These are the Aunt Lydia's of our times. And they have always been around. They've always been well, around to stab people you, in the back. It's funny you bring that up because what it seems like a lot of men are turning into is they're turning into those men in The Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. The, you know, and I'm noticing this, I'm a nationalist, I'm a father, I'm a, uh, fuck off. Look, yeah. look, like, I'm sick of this shit. I'm a father, I've got kids, I want a wife so I can raise my children in my Western nationalism. That You just sound like a fucking cult leader. Or yeah, a, to be my slave. I want a white slave. You sound like a dork. <laughs> you guys are a bunch of dorks birthing hips they always yeah. say this shit too birthing hips shut the fuck up yeah oh my and god 10 years ago you never heard that no and also the way cuck is thrown around just thrown around as an insult and it's well we've said it before but we've said it's a piss off the well, mag we've said it ironically uh, yeah it's been as a joke it's but not if as you're a, like 40 years old and you're going around calling men just constantly cucks like mike vanderbilt yeah like mike <laughs> vanderbilt <laughs> fucker i don't even know if mike vanderbilt is a uh an alt-right person but he clearly is a rapist in my view you know might as well be yeah because well, a bunch of them on the alt-right are rapists well he's he he did refer to himself as a chauvinist apparently for years and that's I'm some like, alt-right shit yeah yeah well i think he thinks he, he thinks of himself as a rocker and that rockers get to rape women and may, maybe even rape underage girls too oh my God. you know and as you said he's no rocker yeah no he's a poser that's what we call a poser Someone who doesn't have any fucking musical talent, just wants to be famous. Well, he... So he can, like, you know, do things to other he people. He dresses like he's emo, but he's rockabilly. Like, it doesn't make any sense. The chunky highlights and the side part at the temple. Yeah. Or dead giveaway. And like I said, if he was a nice guy, I wouldn't be bringing this up, you know? Because, look, that's, that's an ad hominem, but his behavior he deserves ad hominems because <laughs> all of all of the he ad is vile yeah he is vile and i believe he's a danger to any woman he's around and i don't want a moral mm-hmm. panic scare you know no, he is he's dangerous yeah cosby's still dangerous to, to women he's around he's an old fuck and but that fucker's still dangerous and now he's out of jail and mike if you listen to this pod or any of your little minions come after us i will come after you so i'm, I'm letting you guys know if you you try to you know review bomb us or something i'll i'll be coming after you okay <laughs> so we're not afraid of you you never have been no i think the moral of the story is never trust a vanderbilt <laughs> and yes that also means anderson cooper and i will leave it at that okay so this concludes season three i want to thank everyone for listening i want to apologize for the recent delays I cannot begin to tell you all the difficulties we faced making this season. It's been quite a bumpy ride all season long. The pod will be taking a break until July 9th, and the reason for this is because I want the podcast to get back on a regular schedule. Think of it as a soft reboot. This gives me time to research and have outlines done. I have been writing and rewriting nonstop since Christmas, and I need a two-week break a mental health break, 
um, before I get back to writing and researching. Because I'm two weeks and then I'm back to writing and researching again all year. I want to have a few episodes in the can when we come back. And I will be putting up our old episodes on YouTube. And I will be taking over editing duties for season four. Which is going to be our most bonkers season yet. All of my interests and obsessions will be on full display. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, (laughs) I will leave up to the listeners. I think season four is going to be the best yet. It has everything. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. There will be an episode about ninjas. (laughs) We will be having an episode about a bat monster. Uh, Well, I'm taking some really big swings here, all right? You always take big swings. We're taking bigger swings. (laughs) Okay. There will still be plenty of murder mysteries. Literally, the first episode is about a horrible murder. It's really, it's it's got kind of a twist to it, though. And there will be cryptids, there will be serial killers, there will be dark history, there will be unexplained deaths, which is my favorite thing to talk about. So next week, we'll be doing a special Q&A episode reflecting on this season, and we've got some great questions from you guys. I'm excited to dive into this. We might talk more about Mike Vanderbilt, because we got questions about him. Mm -hmm. And that will be dropping very soon. And film critic Darren Mooney and I have something planned to drop but sometime between now and July. I think it all depends on when Darren is done rewatching uh, the fourth season of The X-Files, which is one of my favorite shows. We're going to go episode by episode through season four, and it's going to be a great deal of fun. I'm really excited. And it's sort of a farewell to me talking about that show on this podcast. My final word on that series and its legacy, which is... Very complicated, to say the least. All right, Stephanie, where can I find us? You can find us at the Spookies Podcast at gmail.com, where you can write us some questions, leave us some comments. We may or may not answer them. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find me at Steffi Hellyow on Twitter and Stephanie Hellyow on Instagram. You can find me at Agent Bigfoot on Twitter and Spooky Michael on Instagram, which I'm shocked that was not taken. That seems like such a generic. I know. And I, it's, a, it's really cute. It's too. mine now. <laughs> All right. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>